Pastor Xavier Reese with some encouraging words regarding the struggles that we all face. The testings of life are also accompanied with the ability to pass the test. Do you know that? If you didn't, you do now. Everything that will ever come into your life, God will show you the way of escape, give you the wisdom, and the power and ability to hang in there. So we've got no excuse, really, do we? What do we do? We obey and draw close to God. How can we do that? Only with a whole heart, not a divided heart. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Now what happens when two leaders vie for power? Well, if it's not handled correctly, you have a revolution. Today, Pastor Xavier warns us against the danger of following man's plan versus God's design for our lives. Now let's join him for this intriguing study from our continued look in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6 Verses 10 through 25, I've entitled the message, The Perils of a Divided Heart. We want to look at three perils which Moses gives to us, and he warns them about when we have a divided heart. Look with me to the first, the perils of prosperity, verses 10 through 15. Notice first in verse 10 and 11 that the promise is found there, the the promise of blessing. The promise was to be received by faith. It shall be, the beginning of verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you the promise of blessing, the promise was to be received by faith. Everything God speaks to us, even when he speaks to us right now in the present, it's speaking of faith. We step out and we trust God. Notice secondly in verses, uh, the end of verse 11 and 12, the problem with blessings. Notice the tendency to forget God is after having eaten and been full. Oh, when we're lean, oh Lord, you know, then we're fat and full and boy, we forget all about God, don't we? After then, beware. How easy people can forget what God has delivered them from after they've been full and eaten. Notice the second tendency there is to forget the type of bondage remembering in it a much better light than it really was. We have that tendency after years go by, we go, well, it wasn't that bad. Remember, the children of Israel remembered the leeks the onions, the watermelons, but they didn't remember the whip. You forget the bondage, the pain, the emptiness, the destruction. Oh, be careful of your heart. But notice thirdly in verses 13 and 14, the particulars for the blessing. There's conditions. One, you shall fear the Lord your God in verse 13, first portion. It rises about three or four times in this passage. Fear, fear, fear. What does the scripture say about fear? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Proverbs 1, 7, and 9, 10. Second, you shall serve the Lord your God. Why? Because you cannot serve two masters. You love one and hate the other, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. Thirdly, you shall take oaths only in his name, only in his name. Why? Because the oaths were a validation of truthfulness to the promises of God or those things promised to God and God knows the heart. But notice, fourthly, you should not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. Notice that. Don't miss it. All around you. There are gods all around you. People serve all kinds of other gods. Drugs, sex, alcohol, goodness, morality, being a church person. Those are all the other gods they serve. People think usually that Satan wants to make people evil. No, no, no. Satan wants to make people good. 
He wants to make them good so this way they can think they can get to heaven by being good. But notice fourthly here in verses 15 and 16, the promise of judgment rather than blessing if there's disobedience. First, the reason is that God is jealous, a jealous God among them. And he can tolerate no rival, chapter 6, verse 15. No rival. Any love that comes before God, love for God, is a perverted love. It's a wrong love. So he's a jealous God. Now, young people, be careful your hearts not get stolen away by the world. You be careful the glitter doesn't take you away, okay? You be careful you don't get ensnared, okay? You be real careful. Secondly, is the perils of adversity. You find that in verses 16 through 19. Their past failures are to teach them. They had been delivered through many miracles from Egypt in Exodus 4 through 13. They had been allowed to cross the Red Sea on dry land and Pharaoh's army to drown in Exodus 14. They had received drinkable water before and manna was given to them in Exodus 15 and 16. And then came Exodus 17. They should have trusted God for their present adversity based on his past faithfulness, but instead they tempted the Lord. All that God had done, and all of a sudden, they had no water. And the people contended with Moses, and he responded, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt God? And they murmured against Moses and accused him of bringing him out to kill them. And the man cried out to the Lord, the man Moses, and God told him to strike the rock and to give them water to drink. The rock was a symbolic of Christ who quenches every man's thirst. John 7, 37 through 39 and 1 Corinthians 10, 4 tells us that. The place was called what? Massa, tempted, and Meribah, contention. You see, when we tempt God, we're in contention with him. How come, God? Why me? Why now? Why do you bless them all the time? You see, I chide with God. I tempt God. He says, you be careful. You learn from the past faithfulness of God. So when he allows you to be in a difficult situation, that you can look back and say, God will take care of it. I'm going to trust him. But notice secondly in verse 17, their present and future testings were to drive them to obedience by faith. You don't obey because of the circumstances. You understand it. You obey it by faith. The difficulty of the situation and circumstances is not even discussed. Do you notice that? Do you see any circumstance here? You can obey me only if, only when. The circumstance is not even the option. Why? Because God says you obey me all the time no matter what. It's always right to obey God. The circumstance is not even the consideration. The implication is that truth is not relative to the situation. Fornication is wrong no matter when or where or how. Stealing is wrong, no matter when, where, or how. The manner in which they were to keep the commandment is, notice the word, diligently, which means to keep, to guard, to observe, to give heed, implying what? Very simple. The tendency of man's towards complacency, compromise, and disobedience. Why does he tell them diligently? Because man is not diligent in the things of God. He's complacent, lethargic, mediocre, compromising, disobedient. Remember our heart. The natural heart can hang it. It can't do it. We need that new heart. The word appears 19 times in Deuteronomy. Diligent. 19 times. Man's bent is towards evil. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed when you try to do so good for God, you want to do good, but evil is present with you? 
Every one of us. Man's potential for good is there, but his bent is towards evil. Notice thirdly in verses 18 and 19. The promise is that they would reap. The obedience is in the sight of the Lord, not man. Beginning in verse 18. So often we do things for man. No, no, no. God doesn't look at it. Our obedience is before God. Secondly, their blessing would be that it would go well with them and they possess a land promised to them. Based on what? On their obedience. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless me. But thirdly, their purpose was to cast out their enemies. Do you know that just by obeying, you cast out your enemies? Just by obedience, you are not open to the perils of the enemy because you obey. But if you're always in the enemy's camp, if you're walking in and out, and I'm not talking about not being in the world. We're alive. We're supposed to be in the world. But I'm talking about if you're just fellowshipping, if you're partaking all the time, and you're being where you're not supposed to be, boyfriend, girlfriend, non-believers, business, partying, you be careful. You be real careful. Because you will not be able to defeat your enemies. Your enemies will consume you. The various and needful trials of life that are for a little while are to prove the genuineness of our faith, which is far more precious than the gold that perishes, 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says. He says some important things there. Various trials are going to come in every shape and size. Secondly, he says that for a little while, not for life, for a little while, so don't freak out. And then he says that they're more precious than gold. So they are needful, they are various, they're for a little while, and they're to prove the true value and genuineness of our faith. The proof is not for God. Who's the proof for? For ourselves. Moses tells them this in chapter 8 too. Listen to him. And you shall remember the Lord your God that he led you all the way through these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. For who to know what was in our heart? God? He already knows it for you and me. You see, one big problem, you and I do not know what's in our heart. We think we're kind of good sometimes. God does a tremendous work, so pretty soon we think it's us, not God. And we say, I would never let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Mm. The fiery trials that come to our lives are not to be thought of as strange as Christians, but in fact, a privilege of Christ's suffering, 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. He suffered, and when we suffer in this flesh, it is evidence that we have ceased from sin, practice of sin, because we deny our flesh. Now, my spirit doesn't get bugged. It's my flesh that bothers it. My flesh says, oh, come on, X, just a little bit. Not going to hurt. Come on. The testings of life are also accompanied with the ability to pass the test. Do you know that? If you didn't, you do now. You're accountable. Let me give them to you. First, the way of escape is promised. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation you are subject to except that which is common to man. And with every testing, you will be shown the way of escape. Secondly, the wisdom needed is promised. James 1, 2 through 8. You lack wisdom, ask of God. He does not reject anybody. Thirdly, the duration is considered by the phrase in 2 Peter 1, 3, all things pertaining to life and godliness. Everything that will ever come into your life, God will show you the way of escape, give you the wisdom, and the power and ability to hang in there. So we've got no excuse, really, do we? What do we do? We obey and draw close to God. 
How can we do that? Only with a whole heart. Not a divided heart. The trials of life will mold and shape you into the image of Jesus Christ by His Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. Because we don't look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, and the things that are seen are, are not seen are eternal, right? And so every day we see this man fading away, day by day. You, I presume you got up this morning and looked at the mirror, especially you ladies, right? Oh, man, those crow feet are getting big. <laughs> this old man is perishing. The perils of adversity can happen at any time when our hearts are divided. Is your heart divided? Are there things pulling at you? Young people, be careful. The glitter of the world, you've only been around, out the door for a little while. Be careful. Some of those old goats know a little better. We've been around the block a couple of times on our back, some on our face. And you be careful. The glitter of the world, the pursuit of things. The world looks so appealing. Remember Dinah. Remember Moses. He gave it up. It wasn't worth it. Third is the perils of failing to transmit our faith, verses 20 through 25. Notice first in verse 20, the priority is our children. That is the context. Very, very important. Children will naturally ask questions about parents' relationship to God by observing their lives. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is the meaning of these or the testimonies? Children are to be given the meaning of the Word of God, not just simply taught to memorize the Word of God. You are responsible for your children becoming Christians to teach them, not the Sunday school teachers. Don't depend on them just learning a memory verse. You teach them. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart, Proverbs 22, 6. A child will say, what does this mean, Dad? I remember my son asking me, Dad, Dad what... You know, we go on the rapture. I think he's maybe about four or five years old. And what should I? Well, well, X, you know, right now you're just not old enough and you really don't understand the rapture. When you get to be 18, then I'll talk to you about it. Oh, no, no. You, you share right there. What does it mean, Dad? What will happen when we go? Are our bodies going to go? Or, or what will happen to the babies? What will happen to my friends? Oh, man. You better talk. You better tell. You better know the Word of God. What are you going to say? Well, Johnny, you know, when we get to church Sunday, we'll, we'll ask the pastor. Oh, really? Why are we not to be joined with unbelievers, Dad? Why can't I date a non-believer? Why can't I take Betty Sue to the dance? She's nice. <laughs> You're saying she's nice or she's nice looking? What's your motivation? Is she Christian or non-Christian? Parents, how you doing? Why can't we worship other gods? Do you have an answer? Notice secondly. Verses 21 23. The proclamation is to be clear and biblical. Not generalities, not philosophies, not traditions, not opinions. Verse 21 there, parents were to communicate clearly to their children that they were not good people but sinners. Listen to verse 21. Then you shall say to your children, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Parents, are you communicating to your children that you're just a good person? Now, I'm not saying you have to tell your kids all the places you blew it in the past, okay? I'm saying you make sure that your child knows that God saved you because you were a sinner. You were one who was separated from God. You make sure they know that. 
Let's they grow up and say, well, my mommy was just real good and my mommy isn't that. But be careful you don't emphasize your morality for your child. You will damage him. You will deceive him. You will destroy him or her. You make sure they understand that mommy and daddy were a bunch of creeps that needed salvation. And if they wouldn't have repented, they would have gone to hell. Even with all of their morality. You make sure they understand that. They were slaves to sin, like all men and women, for there is none righteous, no, not one, Paul says in Romans 3. They were delivered from the worldly form of life, void of God's life, symbolic of what? Egypt. Egypt. They were free from the power of sin by the power of God, not human effort, not psychology, not sociology, not anthropology. Say, well, son, you know, like when I got my act together, I went to one of those rehab places, you know, and I went through the 12 steps and, you know, on the 13th, I was walking, man. Oh, really? You're robbing God's power. You make sure they know that it's by the power of God that you were turned right side up and you were brought out of the world. Secondly, parents were to communicate the supernatural intervention of God's an available availability to them in verses 22 and 23. In 22, those are the past. What God did for you in the past. Verse 23, those are the present. And verse 23, also of the future. When you're out there, son, daughter, you remember God loves you. You turn to him. He's always there for you. You base it on what's happened in the past. You base it on what's going on in the present. When God does things in your present and he provides money, when you don't have money, do you tell your kids or do you keep it hush-hush? Well, you know, they don't understand. Oh, really? When God answers prayer, do you let your children know that he answers prayer? When there's difficult circumstances and God provides and does things and opens doors, do you point them out to your children? You better. Notice thirdly, in verse 24 and 25, you have the promise, and it's marked by obedience. We come back to it. The commands were with the purpose of observing them to do them, verse 24a. To do them. We're not teaching just for the heck of it. We don't catechize our children just for the heck of it. It's with the purpose of obeying, because the blessing comes with the obedience. The motive was to have fear of the Lord our God. The combination of respect and fear of the consequences. Now, there, there, when I was running around in the world, I loved my dad. I honored my dad and my mom. And certain things I didn't do because I honored my dad. Okay? That's part of the word here with fear is revere, to respect. So some things I didn't do because I respected my father. Other things I didn't do is because I was afraid to knock my teeth out. Okay? That's a healthy balance. You understand? Okay? Certain things don't do because you honor God. And then other things don't do because you'll knock your teeth out. Okay? Now, he may not choose to do it right away, but if you persist, be patient. He'll get around to you. That's a good balance. A very good balance. Why? Because I know his will. I know he's a jealous God. I know his wrath. I know his judgment. I know he sees all things. Ooh. I know my God. But notice also the reasons were for their benefit. Verses 24 and 25. First, that it be for their good. Always, don't miss that. That it be for their good 
always. God wants it to be good for you always. You are the one who choose how good you have it. Always. Secondly, that God would preserve them alive as to that day. God wants you to live. But if you persist in sin and rebelliousness, God may oblige you and take you home. It's no problem for him. Thirdly, that their obedience might be righteousness to them. The way they're living their life out between one another pleases God because their relationship is right with God. Remember first, the first table? Godliness, my relationship with God. All right? And when my relationship is right with God and I love him with all my, all my heart and my soul and my might, then I can love my neighbor as myself, right? So then I act right between you and I, right? And that pleases God. And as God looks upon him and says, I account that the righteousness to him. How interesting. The transmission of our faith to our children is to be characterized by diligence and consistency. He's told us that in chapter 6, verse 6 through 9. Let's look at that real quick. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them while they're sitting in your house, while you're walking by the way, while you lie down, while you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and you shall put them as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Notice how specific the training is. First, the love of God must be the motive of parents' heart, verse 6. Because you love God, that's why you're doing it, and you're obeying Him. But my kids don't like it. Tough. You obey God. The teaching is to be throughout the day. Look at verse 7. When you sit in your house, when you sit in your house, what do you guys talk about? Does there God ever enter the picture? I'm not saying you have to talk about God all the time. But does God enter the picture between you and your children's conversation during the day? When you walk by the way, when you're just taking a stroll, going to the mall, going here, going there. When you lie down before you go to bed, do you talk to them? When they rise up, do you read devotionals to them? Do you pray for them? You see also the word is to be at the forefront of their mind, verse 8. The, that, the reference there is to phylacteries. The, the rabbis and Pharisees did that with little parchments here of uh, Deuteronomy and also around their arms. Some of you went to Israel, you saw it in the Western Wailing Wall. And the word also is to be found in their house, verse 9. The masseuse has a reference there to put in the law. And when you enter Jewish home, you kiss it. Could I... Find evidence that you're a Christian if I go to your home? Or would I have a hard time? The transmission of our faith to our children is to be scriptural. We're to teach them to examine the scriptures, Acts 17, 11, like the Bereans. See if it's true. We're to give them the full counsel of God, Acts 20, 27, not just part of it. We're to teach them to search it out, 2 Timothy 2, 15. The transmission of our faith to our children is to be obeyed. The obedience of the child is evident of honoring the father and mother, and it's the first commandment with promise, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, to the children. The obedience is well-pleasing to God also, Colossians 3, 20. And the parents have the responsibility to do the training in such a way as not to discourage or to provoke the children. Are you harder with your child than God would be with your child? Then you're provoking them to wrath. Be careful. Ephesians 6, 4, Colossians 3, 21. You see, the perils of failing to transmit our faith will occur when our hearts are divided. You see? And so here you have the three perils which Moses warns the second generation due to a divided heart. Don't miss them. Real simple. The perils of prosperity, the perils of adversity, the perils of failing to transmit our faith to our children. Mm, those are so important for life. 
May God give us wisdom and the discipline to obey. It'll make a difference in their life and in ours. Pastor Xavier Uris with a gentle warning about avoiding the three perils that can plague the heart. And you can request a copy of today's thought-provoking study called The Perils of a Divided Heart. Of course, it's available on CD for just $4. This will also contain what Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together. So the title to ask for once again is The Perils of a Divided Heart. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, don't forget to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Well, what happens when we continue to ignore the grace of God? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 